Welcome to Dialogue on Teaching, Wabash Center's podcast series. I am Nancy Lynn Westfield, Director of the Wabash Center. Paul Myrie, Senior Associate Director, is in the Sound Engineers booth. It is my pleasure to welcome to the conversation today three colleagues. So we've got three folks involved in the conversation today, so we're very excited about it. Um, Dr. Sarah Farmer, who is our most recent hire at the Wabash Center. She is Associate Director of the Wabash Center. She just started a couple months ago. So welcome, Sarah, to the conversation. Thank you. Uh, next up is Ekaterina Lamparis. Ekaterina is the Richard B. Parker Assistant Professor of Theology and Wesleyan Thought with George Fox University. Welcome, Ekaterina, to the conversation. Hello, I'm glad to be here. And Lakeisha Lockhart. Dr. Lockhart is Assistant Professor of Christian Education at Union Presbyterian Seminary. So Lakeisha, welcome to the conversation and let's get started. Help us frame the conversation for us because the three of you have been in conversation on mothering in the academy, right? Which is both a, um, a cultural taboo in the academy and a cultural necessity for folks who want to be about parenting, particularly about mothering. So help us know how you all got started, how the three of you got started in this conversation on mothering. Absolutely, thank you. And thank you for having us. Um, so it started with the digital salon <laughs> that Wabash offered around caring for the soul. And we had amazing conversations about how we care for our souls during these times and being in the academy. And so from that, Wabash offered a grant if we wanted to do something else. Thanks, Wabash, by the way. <laughs> and so uh, the three of us kind of talked and realized that some of the things that we had in common were being mothers in the academy and that there were places that we were struggling to continue to find care for our souls, realizing that our body and soul needed care, but we weren't finding that or or lots of communities. And so the three of us wanted to get together to tend to that and to, to speak to that. So we applied for a grant um, to, and we called it Motherlogians, <laughs> uh, kind of this mother and theologians coming together uh, and trying to find ways to resist fragmentation through caring for body and soul. So we basically got together and put forward this grant of being able to um, talk to senior motherlogians <laughs> in, in the world that have kind of been where we have been and have survived. <laughs> And, and maybe thrive so that we could glean not only um, perspective, but self-care tips and tools for how they made it through body and soul and mind, not just a piece or a part of them, um, and ways that we can en enrich ourselves with resources. So we had amazing conversations. Once Wabash said yes to us, thank you. Uh, again, uh, we were able to have some really great conversations with four amazing mother logians uh, that kind of span the spectrum as far as diversity within the academy, as well as racial ethnic diversity, and had some just great conversations where we learned, oh my goodness, so much. I know I'm better for it. We had such amazing conversations uh, where we were able to just talk about what we needed, what we can do moving forward, and what we might potentially think about in the future. So it's been an amazing time. Um, yeah, so it's been good. Hopefully that's enough to get, get us to remember it's, where we are. That's right. So Katarina, what surprised you about the conversation, right? In your learnings, in your conversation, what surprised you? Oh, goodness, so many things. Uh, uh, I think... Um, I think one of the things is just, uh, for me, intellectually, 
it's a puzzling thing how we think about what it means to be a mother in the academy and what we can um and what are some ways in which um academies can create a more um welcoming environment for mother professors and this is really hard because it seems that motherhood is being viewed as a part of this private sphere which has little bearing or no bearing to our intellectual life to our teaching life this is something which we are not supposed to bring in and a big fear around it seems to be that motherhood somehow negatively impacts what we do as scholars what we do as teachers motherhood slows us down motherhood takes away time which matters. That seems to be the perception. And as a result of it, we I found that many mothers in the academy are themselves reluctant to bring in their motherhood in conversation with their colleagues, in conversations about their teaching, in conversations about their scholarship. So what do we do with that? Because there seems to be the sense that motherhood negatively affects in some way in what we do. But how do we open up the conversation and say, listen, there are certain restrictions which motherhood poses on, let's say, the time which we have available to do what we need to do. But at the same time, how do we open up the conversations and talk about all these ways in which motherhood is so important for our identity, is so important for our embodied teachings, is so important for who we are as thinkers and professors? What are some ways about talking about how motherhood actually enriches what we do? And that's and this is still I still struggle with that. And this is a huge question. And this is something which I think our motherology and projects has given us some insights and some language in terms of moving forward on that. Motherhood is not just private. Motherhood is not something which slows us down. But motherhood is something which enriches us and makes us more fully who we are as teachers and scholars? I think for me, um, when I think about what surprised me is um, just how easy it is to um, internalize that narrative of guilt. Um, and it, and there is a guilt-written narrative, right? Where you feel like um, when you're doing this, when you're caring for your child or when you're tending to something in the home that you should be doing work. Um, and of course, this kind of... Um, competitive nature in the academy, this kind of mentality that you can never do enough um, kind of gets internalized with that um, narrative of guilt that sometimes, at least I know that me as a mother that I've um, embraced. And so I thought it was so helpful kind of talking to senior mother elogians because I think that part of what they help do is like, we need to reframe this narrative that when I get give birth or when I'm pregnant and I'm standing in front of the class that classroom, it doesn't make me dumb. It doesn't um, somehow make me unintelligent all of a sudden because I have a baby or I'm carrying a baby or I have to nurse. Um, but it, but it really helped. Like, how do we change the narrative from guilt to joy or from shame, right? To, to a narrative of, of confidence. And, um, and I think the, I think Keisha is the one who coined the term mother Logan, but I think that, her mother Logan really speaks to this ideal that we don't like the academy doesn't get to make the choice for us, <laughs> um, that we will be both mothers and theologians. And as Ekaterina said, that those things inform each other. My motherhood informs how I do theology and how I theologize 
just like me being a theologian informs how I mother. And so I think as we were in conversation with each other um, and with the senior mother logians, even some of those insights um, kind of begin to kind of re-energize our thinking and, and even our identity as mothers in the academy. So this might, this might not be a good question, but this is what I'm thinking about. Is the, um, is the bias against mothers different from the typical sexism, different from the typical misogyny of the academy? Like, when, like I was taken, Sarah, when you said, when we're pregnant, we don't become stupid, right? <laughs> Which is absolutely <laughs> the case. So, you know what I mean? So is it, is, is it the bias, particularly for mothers, different from the run-of-the-mill sexism that we experience in the academy, the run-of-the-mill misogyny that we experience in the academy, which I don't say so casually, right? These are, these are very toxic environments. Um, but it sounds like one of the things that you all discovered was Pregnancy and motherhood, particularly of younger, youngest children, is a phenomenon that has been problematized in different ways. I think so. I think, um, I will say, I, I have recently been pregnant. I have a five-month-old now. And so this is very fresh <laughs> right now. And I'm just thinking about the ways that, you know, I've experienced sexism in the academy. I've experienced uh, racism, right? The fact that, oh, I'm a black woman, I can't, or, oh, you're really articulate, or, you know, all the things that, you know, just drive you up the wall that you know when you know what it is. Um, but I will say, having been pregnant and now having this baby that sometimes I bring to meetings because I refuse to let my motherhood be invisible is this space of like, not only are you missing something, but now you need to be cared for. So to, to me, that just feels different. It's, oh, you're pregnant. Oh, let me help you. You need to do this or you need to do that. Like, like I can't have as much rigor or I can't mm -hmm. fend for myself anymore. Or, or, I mean, just the myriad of things. Like I can't speak up for myself anymore, which I have no problem doing. <laughs> or just that space of now I need extra care um, or the, oh, I bet you're not getting sleep. Just all the assumptions that come with it or, you know, just that that more than anything I feel like is what separates kind of the mother piece from just your average sexism and, and racism is this how people interpret what it means for someone to bear a child and what they think that person needs and it's often very wrong mm. and and the fact that the rendering of your rendering you silence not saying what if anything can we do for you and the answer is most likely just let me do my work <laughs> Right. You did not discover motherhood, right? The three right. of you did not discover, make, make these discoveries. How, how has the work changed your work? Do you, you know what I mean? How are you relating to your own communities, your own scholarship differently? I mean, one thing I'll say is um, I think it reminds me of uh, just this, this uh, interdependence and the need for a village. Um, of course, a lot of my work is centered around community development. And so I believe in this ideal of village, um, but the village of the academy, um, just in regard to, I mean, I, I remember like when I was in, in grad school and I would go to AAR meetings and I would see Dr. Stacy Floyd Thomas bring her child to the AAR meeting with her. And something about that act was both an act of resistance, but it also was an invitation for me to think about 
my life in the academy um, differently. And so I, I think about just the ways in which we have to provide a village of care for each other and kind of um, look out for each other um, in those ways. And so that's one, I think it just reaffirms that idea of care. Little Lillian has logged a whole lot of miles in the <laughs> so, meetings. Right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And in terms of uh, and in terms of how this project affected um, our work, um, as a theologian, I'm very interested in ways in which we can construct uh, new contextually sensitive science-engaged theologies of motherhood. There is some work, some very exciting work coming out in this area, but there is not quite a lot. And if we look at in the history of Christian thought, we don't get a lot of life-giving, intellectually sound theologies of motherhood. What we find historically is um, a lot of theologies written by men, which are sort of centered on the idea of restricting women to the idea of motherhood. As if being a woman means being a mother, and that's what ultimately makes you as a woman. Mm -hmm. And then obviously, once we get to the 20th century, we see a very, um, you know, uh, reasonable pushback against this idea. And with the emergence of feminist theology and queer thought, the kind of the divorce from the idea of, well, if you are a woman, you have to be a mother or somehow virtue for woman is constituted in motherhood, mm -hmm. which makes perfect sense. And that was a very much needed pushback. But I think once we arrived at this point, it looks like we do not have a lot of good models of how we can think theologically about motherhood. And this is something as a theologian I'm very interested in. And this is something which I think is time for us to seriously explore. And our methodological project gave me a lot of ideas about what could be done. So the politics of picking in your discipline as a scholar, picking your topics, that your research topics that you're going to explore, kind of what you're going to be tagged with. In religious education, so I'm a religious educator, uh, so much of our identity politics steered women away from doing research on children or parenting of any kind, because the politic of the academy said you will not be taken seriously as a scholar to pursue those research issues and topics. Your work stands in the face of all of that politics. So Lakeisha, help us understand, right? That's a shift in, it feels It feels like mothers are coming out of the closet, right? It's just yes. it's kind of an absurdity. <laughs> come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but at the, the same time, it's timely, it's past time, right? Scholars is, are mothers right. and mothers are scholars. Like who knew, who knew? I mean, how else do you think people got <laughs> Here. But we, I mean, we are, and I think that's what a lot of this project is for us, is this pushing back against the norm of us saying, no, we're not going to continue to let ourselves be siloed and we have to be mother at home and theologian here when they literally inform us. We're not going to be fragmented people, you know, as Willie Jennings would say, we're not going to sit around here and have these multiple identities, but say, hey, they, they make us better when we put all of them <laughs> together when I, I bring my mothering here when I bring my theology home it makes us better and it's like just because I choose to talk about this or we choose to talk about this does not mean that we are less than or less rigorous or anything and again as someone who not only talks about you know children but also play I'm like doubly less rigorous right <laughs> considered in the world <laughs> but it's 
Like, and again, part of this project was the self-care because guess what? We can't do this work if we also don't play, if we don't take care of ourselves because we need to be mentally fit. We need to be physically in a good place because we have to do this work and we have to care for so many, but that doesn't make it less than. And we learn from our experiences. We learn from research. We learn from these wonderful little people that we have in our lives. And that teaches me how to be a better educator when I go in the classroom. That teaches me how to help frame a better article so it's accessible to other people than just folks in the academy and using wonderful words that only they know and I can use. But it just it's that constant reminder of this is my community who I'm accountable to. When I look in these little people's face, this is why I know I can get up and do this work because I want a better future for them. And I look at them and say, this work is rigorous. This work is serious and they're worth it. And so for me, it's 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 not any less than it's yeah and so I yeah I want us all to just come out of the closet where mothers it doesn't have to be invisible it's a beautiful wonderful thing and it does not jeopardize our scholarship we can still write and read and be smart and brilliant and present and do these things and also be mothers I think um because this also came from what our digital salon and so it yeah. came out of a time when COVID mm-hmm. kind of pull back the the layers on motherhood, right? Or uh, on parenting. Um, because when we had to work from home um, and our kids are jumping on the screen when we're having <laughs> meetings and you're trying to hide them away, um, there was something about that that gave our students and our colleagues um, a window into who we are, um, into humanizing um, this ideal of um, kind of what we do as both mothers and as um, scholars. And so I even think about from my own um, research and even like teaching just this idea around embodiment and the ways in which um, like when we stand in front of the class as mothering bodies, um, there are specific things that we are aware of because we are mother like a mothering body I I think about even you know engorged nipples you know which forced us to take breaks in classroom which is actually helping um those breaks are helping our students out but just I mean it's something simple or or where do we where do we go and nurse you know um and so I think just this blurring of um kind of identities all of that happened um, during COVID, because people couldn't ignore the fact that that parenting, that mothering, that is hard work. Um, but I just felt a whole bunch of listeners mm-hmm. cringe when you said engorged nipples, right? Because those of us who are interested, because it's just a small percentage <laughs> who are interested in embodiment and embodied teaching, <laughs> is a deal breaker to get into the messiness of pregnancy, the messiness of families, the messy, you know what I mean? That So there's something about mothering, your conversation about mothering, who's taken even the radical notion of embodiment and brought that down into a kinds of praxis that most people are very uncomfortable with. Oh yeah, changing diapers. I mean all of it. They don't want it. They don't want to see bodies. They don't want to talk about engorged nipples. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to see it. They don't want to hear about it. And it's like, hey, we're gonna take a bag. I need to nurse. Like literally I've gotten just very vocal about that now. (laughs) I'm like singer. The thing about it, I think it does is it challenges the academy itself because, I mean, motherhood is one form of embodiment, but we have so many other ways in which we embody our identities that we walk into the classroom with 
um, that sometimes we try to the, the academy and tries to kind of make invisible. But all of that is informing who we are when we stand before our students, when we write our scholarship. Um, and I think it, it just challenges people to take note um, that they can't. We're not disembodied beings. We're not just we are not solely intellectual beings, right? Our our brains are not disconnected for the rest of our from the rest of our bodies. I would constantly get uh, in my student evaluations, which would drive me crazy. Uh, students would say things like, "On the student evaluations, I love the way you dress, your jewelry, and your oh. hair." <laughs> well, I don't have anything. Thank you. Like, why? What is it? <laughs> but that's what people are paying attention to. Right. So okay. we can pretend in the academy like this is just a neck up experience. And we know, indeed, it is not just a neck up experience. Yes. Right. And I think that these two notions of embodiment and identity are the entryways in which we can bring mothering experiences into academic conversations about scholarship and teaching, because there is already a lot of attention for a lot of wonderful reasons being paid to these two notions, and motherhood fits both of them. We talk about embodied teaching, as Sarah was just talking about. We talk about race and ethnicity and gender and sexuality. Well, motherhood is ultimately, I mean, there are varieties of motherhood, I have to acknowledge that, but a lot of varieties of motherhood are ultimately about embodied experiences and embodied transformations of a pregnant person. So motherhood belongs here in embodiment. And in the same way, motherhood belongs to the conversations about identity, of about unique experience of what makes us who we are as teachers and scholars. So, there's so I be, love that. There's got to be room in our, conversa our scholarly conversation for family. Yes. Right? And it's, it's almost like we don't say we're anti-family, but part of what you're describing and part of what I know from my own experiences we struggle with the notion of family in intellectual communities. Well, something I think is, is what, <clears throat> excuse me, is what intellectual communities value, right? So part of it is when we think about when we're going up for tenure or promotion, there isn't a section that says family. I'm secretly going to write it in because I feel like keeping humans alive is also equally as important as writing and scholarship. Like <laughs> on, as on my I, CD, I kept my child alive. Kept my child alive for you. <laughs> But I think because it's not valued, because it's not seen as a, a thing that people do, it's not considered valuable. It's not considered something we talk about. Whereas that maybe if we start bringing more conversation around creativity and family into our tenure processes, because guess what? People are doing all of this and maintaining a home and being parents and doing all of the writing and going to AARs and doing all that and parenting. And I think that that also says something about who that person is as, as a whole. And so what does it mean to bring more of that into our guilds, more conversations like that, bring more of that into the tenure process so that it can actually be valued. So it's not just a, a one-off conversation that just those who, you know, want to talk about it have, but that everybody can talk about it. Cause it's like, we all have families. Now, whether you're the mother or a parent or what it looks like, there's some kind of dynamic of family that you have and why can't we talk about it? Um, so hopefully we can start doing more of that. So what are next steps? Have you all thought about the next dimension? I mean, I know I don't want to push you to a place where you haven't gone yet, um, but have you talked about what next might be possible? Well, most immediately we are doing a um, panel at the upcoming AAR um, in Denver. Uh, 
our panels um, titled um, Teaching Bodies, Mothering Bodies. And um, that's where we will discuss some findings of our Modelogian project and uh, hopefully engage in conversations with um, other interested publics about motherhood theology in the academy. That's the most immediate um, next step. So if you are coming to Denver in November, we hope to see you there. The panel will be hosted um, by the um, body and religion section, and it will be on Monday at 9 a.m. Good. Good. That's helpful. That's helpful. Well, any, the Wabash Center is pro-woman. We are pro-body. We are pro-family. We are, we are pro-embodiment. You know what I mean? Seriously, that, that, mm -hmm. that our values about teaching are not somehow that topics live in disembodied ways and kind mm -hmm. of float in the ethers for eternity, right? That we are people who collaborate together and gather together in community and that that are not that's that's messy stuff, right? That we bring ourselves as messiness, but that messiness is the doing of scholarship, right? That's mm -hmm. not, it doesn't become non-scholarly when uh, we dare to be take on the identities that we don't want siloed, but that we want together. So thank you very much for this conversation. Thank you. Um, Thank you for Thank supporting you. our work. And again, it's not just one thing to say it in word, but to actually put it in action through, you know, the grants and all of that and letting this work happen. It's, you know, we don't take that for granted. We had conversations about that and about how other places would probably not accept this grant, right? But how important it is about um, about seeing it in public and having these conversations. So thank you for not just the saying, but the doing of it. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. So Dr. Lamparis, Dr. Lockhart, Dr. Farmer, we encourage you in this work, um, both now and in the next iteration of it. So you are still welcomed into this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. To our listeners, the Wabash Center website is the place to find information about our hybrid workshops, our cohort opportunities, and our writing colloquies. Also look to our website for our blogs, our journal on teaching, and information about our grants that these young women took advantage of. A special thanks to our podcast producer, Rachel Mills, and the music which frames our podcast is the original composition of Paul Myrie. Wabash Center for more than 26 years is exclusively funded by Lilly Endowment Incorporated. And we are out. How was that, Paul?